what a story that we are joining here in Mark chapter five. So glad that you're with us today, whatever age or school you go to or stage of life, I'm really thrilled that you're a part of this service as we're looking at this story that Jesus was a part of. And and it got me thinking about, hey, maybe some of the stories that you and I have that we might have written or scripted differently if we had been able to control the outcome. My name is Jason. I'm one of the pastors here at Forest Hill. And, and I wonder, would you think back with me? Is there something in your life that's happened that if you could have controlled the events, you'd have made it go differently than it did? Maybe something that turned out differently and you're grateful that that happened. One of those, you know, thanks God for not answering that prayer type things. Or maybe it's one that he answered just in a totally different way and you could have never seen it coming. I got thinking about that a lot this week as we continue and we consider what this story by Jesus healing uh, this woman means. Um, I got thinking about it this week because this past week we celebrated my wife's birthday and our anniversary is coming up. And what got me to the point of considering a different type of story is the way that we met. So Jessica and I met at a restaurant um, a lot of years ago. Uh, She was just out of college. I was working on a career and kind of getting prepared for that. I was leaving this restaurant that I had worked at, and I had two weeks left, and they hired her to replace me. And so that's the way that we met. And now here we are about to celebrate and start our 17th year of marriage together. But it almost didn't happen, and here's how. Because Jessica's mom, who's a really wise lady, who usually gives just really good advice, um, she had a different plan, a different story written for Jessica's life. She wanted her to go to work for a different restaurant than the one that I worked at. Now, Jessica decided uh, she was going to buck and go against what her mom's wisdom was on this. And she came and interviewed at the place where I was working, got hired on the spot, and the rest is history. But it made me think about this idea that I'm really glad that somebody else was writing Jessica's story than the person who normally did. Like, I'm so glad that God had intervened in that. I would probably be in a much different place this week, um, probably binging out on Netflix instead of celebrating 17 years of life with uh, the woman that God gave to me. So that's pretty exciting for me. But you may have had a story like that where it turned out differently than you thought. Um, In fact, how about this? Take a little trip. Go back to like um, maybe middle school. Some of you who are high schoolers, if, if everything that you had written out for your life back when you were in seventh grade, if that had happened just the way that you wrote it, where would you be right now? Or maybe you can go back, you're a person who's in your career, and you could go back to high school, and you could think about what kind of job would you have? Who would you be married to if things had worked out the way that you had written it? It's kind of an interesting question, isn't it? We probably wouldn't be right where we are, and we definitely wouldn't have had some of the experience that we've had to this point. And the day that we're going to look at here in the life of three different characters that Jesus talks about as he enters their story in Mark 5, uh, this day is all about people's story that looked like they were going in one direction, being completely turned around. And the idea that I want to bring out here is that it's really all about authority. That someone, Jesus in this case, stepped in and decided to author their story differently than they would have. You ever thought about that's where the word authority comes from? It's the idea that someone is able to write, to create the characters, to navigate plot twists and turns, and and to tell something. They have the power to tell something in a way that settles an argument. That's where the original etymology of the word authority came from. One who writes with expert ability to settle an argument. 
So when we think about authority, and Jesus shows it all throughout the first eight chapters of the book of Mark, we've been looking at that week by week, and if you're brand new just joining us, you can go back and watch any of those weeks. But he's been showing, Mark, the author has been showing us how Jesus has authority over all kinds of things. It's almost like he builds a case in the first half of the book for why Jesus has the power and why we should believe that he really is the Son of God. My question, based on that today, is this. Who's writing your story? Think about that. Someone is authoring the story of your life. Maybe it's you. Maybe you have decided to just allow chance and circumstance to write it. Or maybe it's God. Because really, all of our stories, all of our lives are, are just small stories as a part of a bigger one. And there's this quote from a guy named Paul David Tripp. He's a pastor and a writer that I think is just great. But this quote really sums up uh, how I want us to think about today our own lives and what happens when Jesus gets involved. He says this, Thankfully, I'm not the author of my own personal story. Your story isn't an autobiography either. Your story is a biography of wisdom and grace written by another. Every turn he writes into your story is right. Every twist of the plot, it's for the best. Every new character or unexpected event is a tool of his grace. Each new chapter advances his purpose. Here's why for the next few minutes, I think you should pay attention uh, and I'm paying attention to what Jesus is doing in this because we should really care who has the power to author our story? There are so many things that happen to us in life. Many of us are experiencing moments right now that we never could have expected, and we certainly would not have chosen to write into the script of our time here on earth. And so you want to make sure that the person you're giving authority to has the power to make it turn out right, because there's nothing worse than a story that ends without a resolution, right? A story that doesn't have some sort of redemptive aspect. We all hate those kind of movies or, um, or those kind of things that happen on Netflix or Hulu or whatever. We don't like reading real books that end that way. We want to see redemption. And there's one that has both the power and the authority to write redemption into the end of your story. Here's how it goes. As we just heard, Jesus has met this man named Jairus, a father who's in a really difficult spot. We catch him in his story where he is coming up on the, what you might call the, the rising action, right? He's experiencing a daughter who's really sick and on the verge of death. And in a moment of desperation, like many of us would do, uh, any dad or parent would find ourselves looking for any way possible that we could have our little girl be healed, that we could have redemption for that story. Well, he goes and finds Jesus, who's walking around that part of the town. And he's heard the stories of how Jesus has done miraculous things to heal. In fact, uh, there's a context to what we just read that actually is important for us to know. Jesus, just before he lands here and meets this dad, Jairus, he's been on a, the other side of the lake. He's been in an area that's um, called the Decapolis, a place where they're not Jews gathered, and he's just done something absolutely incredible. First, on the way over there, there was this huge storm that came up, and the disciples thought that they were going to be lost forever, that they were going to die. Jesus, the one with authority over the wind and the waves, he steps up and calms it like it's no big deal. He says, this is not the way that the story is going to end. And they get terrified that he has the power over the sea. 
Then he meets, as soon as he lands on that side of the shore, he meets this guy uh, that doesn't have a name, but we're told so much about him. He's a man who's been an outcast from society. He's living in the graveyard. We'll call him Graveyard Joe. He's got uh, places where he's been carving himself up. He's a cutter. He's mentally absolutely out of his mind. He runs around naked, screaming, and everyone has a story about their encounter with Graveyard Joe until Jesus steps. And it looks like his story ends in absolute despair, that it's hopeless because we find out that he's actually possessed by demons. And what do you know? Jesus steps right into the middle of that man's story and with authority, he sends the demons out and we find this man. You gotta go read this story yourself. Look in Mark chapter five, the very beginning. He find this man sitting there and the scripture says in his right mind. And the people are amazed. See, when Jesus gets involved in our story, he's got power over weather. He's got power over demons. And then he crosses back in the boat to meet Jairus, a dad who's holding on to his last shred of hope because his daughter is sick. Well, as we found out, Jesus starts to walk to Jairus' house. And on the way there, he gets stopped. Stopped by an unnamed woman who happens to come out of the crowd and believing that he could heal her of this disease that she's had. A problem that is some sort of bleeding. And it says that she's had this going on for 12 years. And in one moment, her faith tells her to just grab the clothes of this Jesus who's already demonstrated authority and power and that everything could be okay. That's the story that she's trying to write for herself. Now, you need to know a little bit of something about um, those days, the context for what it would mean to be a woman who's got a difficulty with bleeding constantly. Here's what it would mean for them. It means that she was an outcast socially. She wasn't able to be a part of the religious function and ceremonies and, and all the things that would let her be on the inside. She also probably had lost a husband. No doubt someone could divorce her for the fact that she was what you would call ritually unclean. What a terrible thing to call a person, unclean, unable to come into contact with, impossible to be considered um, socially acceptable anymore. That had been her story for 12 years. And in this moment, she hears of the miracle working rabbi. And she says, this is my shot. I'm not going to let my story end here. There's going to be another chapter. So she goes, she grabs Jesus' clothes, and suddenly he feels the power drain out of him to heal her. She's healed on the spot, and Jesus turns around as we left the story and says, who touched me? Now, if you read along, you can imagine the disciples are like, man, there's a crowd of hundreds of people maybe gathering you. How do you know that somebody touched you? What do you mean? People are touching us constantly. What's this about? And Jesus says, no, no, somebody touched me differently. They touched me with faith, and that faith has done something. Here's what he says. The woman with fear and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, knowing that she had been healed, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. Daughter, he said to her, your faith has saved you. Go in peace and be healed from your affliction. This lady's story looks like it's going to end with her being an outcast and she's trying to change it. But Jesus won't allow that to be the final word. See, this is what's really interesting about the fact that he calls her out. When he says to the whole crowd, hey, who was it that just touched me? Who did I just heal? He's forcing her to come out of the shadows, to come out of her secret 
and to be exposed in front of everybody. I have no doubt that that's not what she was thinking would happen that day. She was hoping to just grab her little miracle, her little healing physically, and she could go on back to her house. She'd be free from the physical issue. But Jesus wanted much more for her than that. See, some of us, we find ourselves in that kind of a place where we just want the thing that's like driven us most crazy, the the issue that we can't overcome. We want the momentary affliction to go away. And sometimes we ask God, we, we pray for Jesus to just do something about it, just heal, just stop it. And occasionally, he decides he wants way more than that for us. In this case, he asked the woman who's a social outcast to stand up and tell her whole story. Now, you can imagine what would have happened right there. Everybody now realizes, hey, she's unclean, which means if she touched him, now he's unclean. I mean, this is a terrible moment for someone uh, who's been trying to hide and stay over to the side, not to be noticed, to not get more ridicule. But Jesus, he wants her to be free, not just physically. He wants her to be free socially and emotionally and relationally. And so he forces her to tell the story. As he does that, Now people can see, oh, she actually has been healed. See, if she had just gone home, the woman with the reputation of always being sick, the woman who was never allowed to come to the party, the woman that no one would touch, if she's allowed to just go home, who's going to believe her? No one would know but her. And Jesus has a different ending to that story. It's really beautiful. And I love the way that he says to her, daughter. That's a term I bet she hadn't heard in a long time. It's a moment of tenderness. It's when Jesus looks at her and and maybe at you, maybe at me, and he looks right into our eyes and he says, your story's not gonna end like this. You thought that this made you an outcast? You thought that this made you less than? You thought this is where it ended? No way. Jesus cares about our real life right here and right now. And he gives that kind of grace, that kind of healing to this woman. Well, the next thing that happens is the man, Jairus, who's been waiting for Jesus to take care of his daughter, the one who came in faith, if you remember, it says that he believed that Jesus just touching could heal his daughter. He's standing there and you've got to be thinking, what is taking you so long? God, I mean, why is it so difficult for you to just come do what I've asked you to do? It it reminds me a lot of times of prayers that I've prayed and God didn't answer on the timeline that I thought he should. Maybe, Maybe you've done that too. Maybe that's where you are today is you've been praying about something and it seems like God's just not cooperating with your schedule. Well, look at what happens. Jairus came to Jesus with enough faith to believe for a healing. All of a sudden, While he was still speaking, says in verse 35, people came from the synagogue leader's house and said, your daughter is dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? Can you imagine those words in the ears of a father? Everything was going fine. He had found the one with power and authority. 
He had asked him to come to his house and Jesus had said, yes, this was going to work out exactly the way that he planned. The story would not end with his daughter remaining sick or possibly even dying. In his mind, the story was going to end with this miraculous healing because he had enough faith to believe that Jesus would do it. And now because of some woman who stalled Jesus, who stopped and, and she had been sick for 12 years, like what would be one more day? What would be wrong with allowing this to go on just, just a little bit longer so that his little girl could be saved? Because of that, he gets the word now that the thing that he loves most is dead. For him, that moment is the end of the story. And this is where, this is where some of us find ourselves. At this point, he's got to be thinking like, why bother? Why would he even come with me now? It's over. That's the end of the story. Some of us, because of a past that you've experienced, choices that you've made because of things that have happened to you, maybe because of the fact that we're living in this such uncertain time right now and you're at a place where financially you've gotten hurt or relationally you've gotten hurt or, or you're not sure how you're ever going to be able to come back from this. There's a part of you that just feels like, why bother? It's over. All that's left now is to just kind of live the rest of these days out. I'm certain that that was going through Jairus's mind. It would go through any of our minds. And Jesus speaks these unbelievable words that I want you to hear as a part of your story today. It says, when Jesus overheard what was said, he told the synagogue leader, don't be afraid, only believe. Don't be afraid, only believe. Jairus had already brought belief, but the belief and his trust and faith at that point was for a healing. Jesus is about to build his character to actually do what authors do with character development in between the action moments where Jesus is going to cause his faith to grow way beyond even the amazing, the amazing aspect of it was that he had enough to believe Jesus could touch his girl and heal her. Now Jesus is going to take that to another level. And maybe for you and me today where we find ourselves, he wants to do the exact same thing. Maybe he's about to grow our faith because here's what happens. It says, he did not let anyone accompany him except Peter, James, and John, James's brother. They came to the leader's house and saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but asleep. They laughed at him, but he put them all outside. He took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and entered the place where the child was. Can you imagine what this moment felt like? Dad and mom looking at the lifeless body of their little girl, believing maybe with one small shred, one glimmer of hope that maybe something could still be done. But, but everything in them and everything around them literally crying out that the story was over. Can you imagine as they watch Jesus walk over to the little girl's body? It says, then he took the child by the hand and he said to her, Talitha Kumi, which is translated, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl got up and began to walk. And then Mark puts this detail. She was 12 years old. At this, they were utterly astounded. And then he gave them strict orders that no one should know about this and told them to give her something to eat. Now, 
it's interesting to me that Mark puts in here that she was 12 years old. Because if you remember, the woman that was healed by Jesus just a few moments ago, uh, she had been dealing with this issue for 12 years. I want you to imagine the story that was being written there, two side-by-side stories, one who 12 years ago had begun the most horrific and hellish part of her life, experiencing all of the things that we try to avoid, experiencing being an outcast, experiencing despair, experiencing physical pain, and for 12 years, she's walked that path. And on this day, her story intersects with a little girl who was born when she began to suffer with a little girl whose parents on the day that this other lady had begun the worst part of her life had begun to experience maybe the best part of their life. A daughter who brought so much joy, who brought so much love, who had totally changed their family's life had come in. And for 12 years, they had lived on the high. They had been uh, celebrating. And in one moment, both find their intersection in Jesus. One healed because of her faith. The other healed because of her parents' faith. What an amazing day this was in the life of Jesus. And it's not only, I love this part, not only that he heals her and raises her from the dead, but, but then look at the way, what he says to their parents. I mean, Jesus, he just cares about our regular life so much. Just our normal walking around everyday life. The first thing he says is like, hey, get her something to eat. She's hungry. And I love the fact that he says, and don't tell anybody about this. Now, there's a guy, a pastor that I love that talked about this passage. And he said this, his name is Chris Brown. He said, the reason possibly that Jesus decided to not let anyone know that he had done this healing is because, think about it, the girl's 12 years old. Her story at that point would be she was the dead girl that came back. And you think about, you remember, some of you are in middle school right now. You know what it's like if you get a reputation or you get a a name that gets stuck on you. Who's going to play with the zombie girl? Who's going to want to date the undead? I mean, Jesus in this moment cares so much, not just for bringing her back to life, but for the life that he will bring her back to, that he chooses to avoid even getting all the glory for having raised her from the dead. This is a God who has the power and the authority to write anything into our stories that he wants. And almost every time we find him engaging with people in this way, the story is way different and way better than any of those characters could ever have written on their own. So I want to ask you to consider who's writing your story. Is, is the one that's able to, to write out how the rest of your life goes. And maybe it's you, you know, maybe you're in charge. But are you able to have power and authority like this Jesus does? Are you able to call into existence things that aren't yet? Are you able to take what looks like the worst day, the darkest day, the most terrible moment, and turn it around for glory? I'm not. I know that this time that we're experiencing in quarantine right now, I know that uh, what you might be experiencing right where you sit and your family or in your job, it it might feel like you're powerless. And I am too. We've we've recognized the fact that, that we can't do anything right now. We don't have the authority 
to stop. Even this past week, storms came through Charlotte. I mean, we're here at the Noda campus and just down the street, a house was destroyed because of the power of a storm. I don't have as much power as a storm does. I don't have as much power, and you don't either, as a virus does. We don't have as much power as society does to put somebody on the out and and make them a reject. We don't have that kind of power. But the one who has the power and the authority to say that's not the way that it will end, has traded his life for yours and for mine. He's offered us this resurrection life. I mean, this really is, this is Easter part two, you know? Last week, we looked at God's power raising Jesus from the dead. And this week, this is all about what happens when that power comes into our everyday Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, regular life. It turns things upside down. And so we have the opportunity to experience dynamic life through Christ by surrendering to him as the authority. But what does that life look like? I mean, in these cases, it looked like bringing life from places that look dead and bringing light into places that were dark. But I know that I'm speaking to some of you that you're like, there's no going back. I mean, the story's already finished. The worst thing that could have happened happened. I lost him. I lost her. You can't fix that. And I want to say this to you. Part of the compelling nature, part of the reason that I'm a believer and that so many here who are watching and a part of the service are believers in this Jesus is because he's the one place that has enough strength to allow us to push through and to persevere when the worst comes. He's the one who says that he can give us peace that we can't explain in the middle of the most difficult circumstances. And many of us have experienced that. He's the one that says that he can give us confidence, that the way it looks like the story is ending now is not the way that it's going to be forever. And he's the only one that gives us hope that even if it ends, if the end are the words written over right where you are right now, He's the only author with the power to say, but there's an epilogue coming. That on the other side of this life, I'm still writing and you're not finished. See, I think if you are a person who hasn't chosen yet to follow Jesus, hasn't chosen to place your trust and faith in his death and in his resurrection, I think today is the day for you to do that because he's offering you this kind of life where he shows up with power and turns everything around. And he can not only do that in where you are at this moment, but he can then give you the confidence and the hope of life forever with him. I mean, I know that you might miss out on that person, that relationship. For many of us, someone's died and we'll never get them back. And we may have to spend 50 years on this side of eternity without them. But Jesus is the only one that says, how about 50,000? How about as you trust me, I'll write a story that goes on to infinity. And then for those of us who are followers of Jesus, if you found yourself in a place this week maybe where it just seems like uh, that kind of life is a fairy tale where he's just not showing up, I just want to encourage you, hold on. I want to encourage you to read this, read the story of his life. Begin to see how he chooses to engage and intersect with us right where we are, that he understands. I mean, that's the beauty of the cross, right? That what we see in our suffering savior last week is that he understands suffering. Even if he doesn't change it and fix it for you right now, he understands it. You're not alone in it. And he offers you on the other side of that also hope.
So I'd like to pray for us now that we would experience that kind of hope. That for wherever you are, you might um, invite him in at this point and you would surrender your story to his authority. Will you pray with me? Father, you tell us in your word and we, we started this way with a prayer that says, give us the eyes to see the ability to recognize your power at work for us. Jesus, that's what last weekend was all about at Easter, that you came to give us life that we could never, ever have written for ourselves. And you've got the power to do it. And then we see this week in these stories that you absolutely care about every detail of our life, both the long-term forever life and our life right now. So God, I pray for those who are here listening that if maybe gotten to the edge and that have lost hope, that it feel like uh, maybe the story's over, that you would just remind them gently, but loudly, you'd remind them that this is not the end when you get involved. I pray that we would surrender to your authority in a way that allows us to have that strength, to have that confidence, to have that peace, to have even joy, the ability to see beauty when it looks as if only darkness is in front of our eyes. God, would you give that now? Would you give us that dynamic life that you offer as we trade up through trust in who you are? And I pray for any today that would like to take that step of placing their faith in you for, like you said to this woman, Totter, your faith has saved you. I pray for anyone that says, I'm ready. God, would you right now cause faith to be birthed and bring them a new heart and begin this process of allowing them to follow you fully wherever that you'll take us. Jesus, we trust you. We love you. And it's in your resurrected name we pray. Amen.